Hey friends, Andy Jenkins here, and welcome back to the podcast. Now, I say that because I have not actually been on in a few weeks. I have been working on this new project. It's it's really been a project that I told you about it. I guess, you know, like in my world, you probably just heard the previous episode right before this one, if you listen anyway, like I listen, uh, or you heard it a week apart or whatever. But in, in my world, I recorded the three previous talks really kind of back to back to back. And it's been a long time since I sat down to do what I'm doing now. So this project seems very current, but in my world, it's been going on really for about three years. Three years ago is when I began writing through the LifeLift material, rewriting it, redrafting it. I've told you the story, so I won't go into it now. But we're ready now to release the book, to schedule a live shoot of the video course. And here's what I did a couple weeks ago. I really needed to just check and make sure all of the slides were working. Uh, that there weren't typos uh, because we always find them in the in the books and we always find them in the slides and generally we find them when it's too late right and so I just wanted to go through them all and I thought you know the best way to do that as well as the best way to time how long these lessons are actually going to take because we have leaders at different churches that want to implement this in small groups or as part of really their um, process of letting people find what they're gifted and called to do so that they can release them and empower them to serve. And then rather than having that person serve the agenda of the church, the church can get behind that person and help resource them in the marketplace or wherever it is that they feel the Lord has empowered them, placed them, specifically gifted them to go do the thing he has put inside of them. Uh, So I really need to say, how long is it going to take them to teach this material so that I know um, and can communicate that? And so I decided, here's what I'm going to do. The best way for me to check my slides is I am going to teach the material live to myself on video, uh, and I'm going to record it. And as I record it, just, you know, using kind of the screen grab and all the features that Zoom lets you do right there, I'm going to record it and and I'm going to place it inside of my website where some of these guys that are brave enough, honestly, to use the new version of the material, the old version's field tested. Dad wrote it 25 years ago, implemented it in his church, uh, the church he was leading, had incredible results, and then literally sold you know, tens of thousands of books across the state of Alabama that they were using in different churches, you know, big churches, small churches, contemporary churches, traditional churches, churches that were in the city, in the suburbs, in the country. I mean, you know, all all kinds of like, so it's been field tested, but the new material, you know, really needed to start getting some resources. So I recorded myself and here's what I'm going to do. The last three episodes have all been about identity and I'm going to take you to topic number four about identity, which which is we're not only included in Christ, that was lesson number three, last episode of the podcast, but we're also, because of that, because of the inclusion was death, you died with Christ, you're buried with Christ, you arose with Christ, now you live this resurrected life. And in this episode, I really want to talk about what does the resurrected life mean? Okay, so here it is. 
I'm gonna play the audio from the video. So a couple times in this, I'm gonna to refer to hey, the screen, all that, you won't have it. But I tell you what, if you go to the link down in the show notes and get the free book, uh, you pay the shipping, I'll mail the book to you. You have the opportunity to grab hold of all of the videos right there. Here's installment number four on the Identity Series, Your Resurrected Life. This one is great. Now, here's, here's the main idea. The gospel isn't about becoming better or even just being made into something different. Grace transforms us into something exponentially superior. Now, what I want you to see there is there is a qualitative difference. Now, let's back that up from the life of Jesus. And again, you can see all the main points here are just A, B, C. The subpoints are uh, one, two, three. That kind of um, naming and numbering convention is really what we've used throughout all of this material. Here's the first main idea then is Jesus looked different before and after the resurrection. This is a really key idea here, is that he did not look the same before the resurrection during his earthly ministry, and then after the resurrection. Because again, the idea is that, uh, as is in the case of Simon, who became Peter, you're not going to look the same post-resurrection either. And right now, you and I have been called and empowered to live a post-resurrection life. Let me give you a couple examples in the scripture. Mary Magdalene, this is somebody that Jesus pulled from the depths of despair. The Bible tells us that he cast seven demons out of her. If anybody was going to remember uh, someone like Jesus, it would be a woman who had that sort of traumatic overcoming into an empowered life. Yet the, the Bible tells us that at the Garden Tomb, that first Resurrection Sunday, that Mary Magdalene confused Jesus with the gardener. It was only after he actually said her name and voiced her name that many people throughout her history probably never even used because, again, seven demons. Many people probably didn't even get close to her. When he calls her name, at that point, she recognizes him. But, but when she saw him, she didn't. Uh, two disciples on the road to Emmaus. This is really interesting. It's about a seven-mile walk from... Uh, where they would have been there in Jerusalem to Emmaus. And so two disciples are walking on the road to Emmaus. They received the first post-resurrection uh, expository sermon from the Old Testament prophets, where you might remember the story. They're, they're talking and they're thinking uh, about what has happened over the previous uh, time period. And they say something like, we thought this was the Messiah. We thought this man was the one. Jesus teaches them from the scripture. Now imagine what kind of Bible study this would have been. That the Christ had to suffer, had to die, yet even in that moment, okay, they didn't recognize, here's the answer, the object of those scriptures standing right before them. You know, you know the story that they invited him and compelled him to stay with them for dinner. And it was when he broke the bread at dinner that they realized that, that this was actually Jesus. Now, that, that indicates to me they might have been in the upper room the first time at the Last Supper, or they might have seen him at other moments. Okay, so here, here's it, it is from the text. They, they drew near to the village where they were going, and he indicated he would have gone farther. But they constrained him, saying, Abide with us, for it is toward evening, and the day is far spent. 
uh, so he goes in to stay with them is what the, the scripture says happens. Uh, and, and then in, in the next follow-up part here of the story, that came to pass as he sat at the table with them, that he took the bread, he blessed and broke it, and he gave it to them. And then their eyes were open and they knew him and he vanished from their sight. Now, several things that occur here uh, highlight to me that maybe these two on the road to Emmaus were insiders. Number one is they somehow recognize this breaking of the bread, meaning they'd probably seen him do that before. And then number two, uh, he vanishes, and they, and they say this, did our heart not burn with this while, while he talked with this on the road? And when he opened the scripture, and then they rush back the seven miles to Jerusalem, and they go to the upper room. Now, the disciples were locked in the upper room, the Bible says, for fear of the Jews, and they begin to tell the disciples what has happened. And while this is occurring, point number three happens, uh, Jesus appears to them, and the 11 still don't recognize him even when he appears. So even after, I get this, three and a half years with him, even after all of the eyewitness accounts of what's happened from trusted friends who would have had access to them, like Mary Magdalene, like the two on the road to Emmaus, who uh, would have had to be able to be, uh, again, trusted to get to the disciples who were locked for fear of being uh, arrested by, by the Jewish leaders, they still didn't recognize him and presumed he was a ghost. You know, and this is where the story happens where, hey, give me some fish, give me something to eat. Look, here's my hands. Here's the, the, sore, the sores where my body has been healing. Here's the observation. Another main point, Jesus and we, because our life is included in his, right? So intertwined, wrapped in his, look different post-resurrection than we do pre-resurrection. Different post-resurrection than pre-resurrection. Um, here's what that means to me. Let's just break it down. Jesus looked different before carrying the weight of our sin. He looked different while carrying our guilt and shame to the cross, and he looked different after being free from it. So uh, Isaiah says that even on the cross, and while he was being beaten, he was unrecognizable, didn't even look human. Uh, that was dramatically different than how he looked during his earthly ministry. Yet, post-resurrection, it wasn't just a return to what he was during his earthly ministry. It was qualitatively different, so much so that close people didn't even recognize him. That leads us to the second point here on the slide. Once you encounter redemption, your identity isn't only restored, you actually find yourself in a better place than you ever were before. Now, again, the example, third point here is if you look at Peter's life, he looked radically different pre-resurrection and post-resurrection. Pre-resurrection, he is the waffling, shifting sand, undependable, unreliable. You can't build anything on top of him yet, even though Jesus has declared the end from the beginning. And then after the resurrection, Peter turns into the powerhouse that we recognize all throughout the book of Acts. And I believe that you and I are emphatically called to this. Uh, here's, here's why. And this is a fundamental concept. This is foundational. Jesus created a new humanity, a genealogy unchained to sin that is yoked not to the power of sin, but yoked to the power of the Holy Spirit. And that is radically different. So often we talk about and teach about original sin, which means people are born when they're born, they have a sin nature. We talk about the fallenness of humanity. 
So the fall occurred, yes, but, but that's really, when we focus on the fall, we're beginning in our study of scripture with Genesis 30 in the fall, not Genesis 1 and 2, where human beings are created in the image and likeness of God. And it's foundational. It's so important that we get that right and actually see how you and I were created, which is inherently in the image of a perfectly good creator. And Jesus redeems that and restores that. There's nothing the cross does not fix and fix exponentially for the better. And when that happens, Jesus creates a new humanity, again, that's unchained to sin and is now yoked, is now tied to the power of the Holy Spirit. Now, in the New Testament, buried in 1 Corinthians, you're going to see two titles that are really important here. Uh, and they're, they're so important. Oddly enough, you might not have ever heard a sermon on either one of these. They, they kind of go together. Uh, the, the terms are here. The last Adam and the second man. These are attributed to Jesus. The last Adam and the second man. Let me, let me show you in the scripture. Thus it is written from 1 Corinthians 15, 45. The first man, Adam, became a living being. That's an individual personality. The last Adam, Christ, became a life-giving spirit that was who was restoring the dead to life. But it is not the spiritual life which came first, but the physical. And then the spiritual. What's Paul saying right there? Physically, we were born physically first. So we had a body first. That's what we saw first. That's kind of what's on the human timeline first. That was the Adam, Adam himself, that appeared first. Okay, now Jesus is coming in as the last Adam. That's going to be some kind of spiritual vitality, some kind of spiritual life is what he's saying. The first man was from out of the earth. Now, now Adam was created uh, from, from, from out of the dirt. That's what he's saying right there. You can read that just straight in the Genesis narrative, made of dust, earthly minded. The second man is the Lord from out of heaven. Now, in the book of John, we read that Jesus was born uh, he was born of the spirit, born to a virgin, the Holy Spirit impregnated Mary. He came from heaven, uh, birth through Mary to earth. And, and so what's happening right here is we're seeing something very fundamental. Here it is. As the last Adam, Jesus ended something. Adam began. Adam began a lineage of sin and subsequent death. So you and I can all trace our history, our ancestry physically, and at some point, even spiritually to Adam. The scripture teaches that sin entered the race, the human race through one man. And because of that, everybody sinned. We can all trace that back to Adam, yet we're not just guilty of what Adam did. We're guilty of what we did because we're all really in that lineage. Jesus was the last human being born in that line is what is saying right here in the scripture. Now, as the last Adam, Jesus ended that as the second man, Jesus began something new, another bloodline of humanity, which is again, unchained from sin and hitched to radical freedom. This all has to do with the resurrected life. Okay. So last Adam, he ends something as the second man, he begins a new human race. Something is starting over with Jesus. A new humanity is beginning in Christ. So physically, you're related to Adam in the flesh. You have his physical nature. Spiritually, though, now you stand because of the resurrection. You stand, Peter said, incorruptible seed. Peter said, 
partakers in the divine nature. We looked at that in the previous lesson. Spiritually now, you stand in the lineage of Jesus. You have his nature. Uh, the us that was born in the image of Adam was crucified, died, and was buried. That was in chapter three, lesson three. We arose, we're remade now in the image of Christ. Let's look at this on the timeline right here. A lot going on with this graphic um, that is in the workbook. This really helps us make sense of all of it. So let's just look over here on the left. Uh, here we have Adam. This is just our human timeline. Jesus is uh, somewhere on that timeline around 33 AD, dies on the cross. Uh, over here, we've got us. Uh, that's you. That's me. Look over here. Death spread to all people. Romans 5.12 on the left side. Now, something's different. In the previous lesson, we looked at these verses. 1 Peter 1.23, you've been born out of corruptible seed. You've been reborn of incorruptible seed. Now, 2 Peter 1.4, you are a partaker in the divine nature. Now, look up at the top here above the cross. At the cross, uh, Jesus offers us. This was the glorious exchange that we looked at in the previous lesson. So you now start seeing how all these ideas stack together. His 33 years of obedience, he offers us his death. He dies in our place. So we did not have 33 years of obedience. We had years and years and decades, in some instances, of sin. He died in our place gave us his death, gave us his obedience at that point, and then gives us the resurrected life after that. That's why Martin Luther called this the glorious exchange, because there's so much more going on here than we typically think. And because of that, at that moment at the cross and the resurrection, Jesus launches a new humanity. Now, let's look at the bottom of the slide here. The first man was Adam, okay? And that bloodline that's stained by sin, marred, spiritually speaking, it ends with Jesus, who is right here. Let's just highlight it. The last Adam, at the same time, Jesus is the second man. As the second man, Jesus is launching a new humanity. Now we live in the line of Jesus, not in the line of Adam. We live in the line of the resurrection, not in the line of of the fall. Jesus was that last Adam, the end of the line of the fall. He is the second man that launches a new humanity in the line of the resurrection. This is an incredible passage and a phenomenal concept to lock on there too. So here's, here's what we're seeing is in the same way that death spread to all people, so also does life. The resurrection life now spread to all people. In the same way death spread to all, life now spreads to all. Here's, here it is in the scripture, Romans 5, uh, 12. Sin came into the world through one man. Who was the man? The man was Adam. And death as a result of sin. So death spread to all men, all women, all children, everybody. Uh, right here, I'll, like this parentheses, uh, this is the amplified version. No one being able to stop it or to escape its power because all men sin. Okay, the fact that all people sin is evidence that nobody could escape sin because no, nobody really wants to sin. We don't like the effects of it, but yet it's all done. We all uh, somehow fall into that rut. Now, the scripture continues. But God's free gift, it is not at all to be compared to the trespass. His grace is all out of proportion to the fall of man. That makes sense. For if many died through one man's falling away, if, if, if many died because Adam started a bloodline, the first man started something, if many died through one man's falling away, through his lapse, through his offense, much more profusely, 
did God's grace and the free gift that comes through the undeserved favor of the one man, Jesus Christ, abound and overflow. So what's happening? Something's occurring when Jesus steps on the scene. It's ending that old line of sin and death, starting launching something new that's, again, like sin and death spread to everybody, now life infused to all. For just as by one man's obedience, failing to hear heedlessness and carelessness, the many were constituted sinners, so by one man's obedience, the many will be constituted righteous, that is, made acceptable to God and brought into right standing with him. Let's, uh, let's practically look at what, what that means. Let's just kind of flesh it out right here. Uh, image here, Jesus uh, ends the old and begins the new. Look, look at that right there. As the old, as the last Adam, Jesus ends the old race. As the second man, he begins a new race. As the last Adam, he died on the cross, never, never to live again as the last Adam. Okay, sin does not have a resurrection power. As the second man, Jesus was resurrected from the tomb. Now, never to die again. So the old line, never to live again. The new line, never to die, lives forever. We died with Jesus as the last Adam. We talked about that in the previous lesson. You were included with Christ. We died with Jesus as the last Adam. We arose with Jesus right here as the second man. That is in Galatians 2.20. I've been crucified with Christ. The life I live, I now live by the faith of the Son of God who loved himself and gave himself for me. Okay, I was crucified with Christ. Now I live. Um, last line here on the bottom. We died. We're cleansed of old sins. The payment for them has been made. And now we arise and the life of the Spirit, the power of the Spirit, is made available to us. Really important points right there. Hopefully, you kind of see those and, and can flesh those out. Another main idea here, and this is really where we landed, is the new you is as unrecognizably different from the old you as the pre-cross Jesus was from the post-resurrection Jesus. Or you could even just kind of put it in your head, say the, the pre-cross Peter post-resurrection Peter, two radically different images that were unrecognizable uh, to people there. Now, in order to understand that, we really need to get to our perception of new as opposed to the Bible's presentation of what new is, because those are very different. The way you and I think of something as being new is, uh, it's, it's going to be different than how the Bible says something is new. Here's, here's a great verse. Now, notice right here, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new, there's our word, he is a new creation. If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation, the old has passed away, behold, the new has come. Now, so often when we think of new, we just think of something that is just a cleaned up version uh, a clean slate, a new car, a new pair of shoes, a, a new television, a new sofa, a new house. It's, it's just really kind of a cleaned up version of what we used to have. Get a new computer, you, you get a new iPhone, you get a new gadget. It's just a new version of what you had before. There's a word in the Greek language that talks about this, neos. Uh, it means new with respect to time. It's of the same kind and quality as the original. Uh, again, if you get new shoes, new pants, that is neos. There's a different word in the New Testament, though, um, because when we start reading the gospel, 
we see that just getting cleaned up isn't the full gospel. Now, that would be an amazing message if it just stopped right there, but it doesn't stop right there. Getting cleaned up is not the full gospel. Again, it's an amazing starting point, but there is so much more. There's another word for new that we see in the New Testament. It is the word kanos. Uh, kanos means newest to former quality. It's a different nature than what is contrasted to the old. Now, this kind of new, kanos, it's superior to the previous product. It's different. It's of a better quality. It is, again, there's our word right there, superior. You can think of it like this, uh, two different words uh, in the language there. All right, so new, new would be if I had shoes. Uh, if I went and got a Neos pair of shoes, that would be an updated, cleaned up version of the old. That would just be a new pair of shoes. Uh, you know, a, a bear hibernates is a good example here. It wakes up, it's a refresh, it's a rested bear. It's just the same bear, but it's just kind of a cleaned up version of the same bear. The other word is canos. Uh, it's a superior upgrade. It's completely different. The, the example in the animal kingdom right here would be if a caterpillar goes into a cocoon and emerges a butterfly. There's nothing in the first that would indicate that this could ever become the second. There's nothing in the second. There's nothing in a butterfly that would ever indicate that it was ever a caterpillar. These are qualitatively radically different. By the way, I had a friend that I was in a group with, small group one time, and he said, hey, you know what a caterpillar goes into a cocoon, that caterpillar doesn't just sprout wings. Like the caterpillar actually ceases to exist and becomes nothing but goo. And then it's completely rebuilt into something totally different. Now, scientifically, I don't understand all of that. It sounds like an incredible message. And I, and I put just kind of a natural example in here. Um, if I'm wearing shoes, and let's just say I wear them out. This, this past week, I actually got a new pair of shoes, came in the mail, okay, the old ones, had a flaw, they wore out, sent them back, and they sent me a new pair. What they sent me was just a cleaned up, unmarked, unharmed version of the old. They're a different color, but they look very similar. That's Neos. A Kanos option would have been if I sent them in shoes and they sent me back a jetpack and said, hey, just quit walking around. A jetpack. And I, and, I, and I know you think, well, that's not fair. Like, that's not even a good comparison. And that is exactly the point. It's not a fair comparison at all. When we read that scripture, if anyone is in Christ, it's not Neos. It's not that you're just a cleaned up version of what existed before. If anyone is in Christ, he is a Kanos. Okay. It's not just a bear to a bear, it's a caterpillar to a butterfly. It's not just shoes to shoes, it's shoes to jetpack. It is exponentially superior, different category, altogether, completely unrecognizable. The old has passed away, behold, the new has come. Behold, all things are new, is what some translations actually say right there. Final point, the fullness of God was in Jesus. And now with this new you, the fullness of God is in you. The fullness of God was in Jesus. The fullness of God is in you. Here's the scripture, Colossians 2.19, for in him, the fullness of deity dwells bodily. In Jesus, the fullness of God was preoccupying, filling every space of Jesus. And notice this, the same book, Colossians 2.10. In fact, if you notice the numbers here on the bottom, this is the same carry-on sentence. It's just two different back-to-back -back verses, for in him, the fullness of deity dwells bodily, and you have been filled in him. 
another verse. The secret, Paul says, is simply this, Christ in you. Is Christ in you bringing with him the hope of all the glorious things to come? That's how you live the resurrected life. The old line of Adam is done. The last Adam, Jesus, has come. He's come. Now he is the second man and has launched a new race of humanity that you and I have been grafted into. Now we are partakers in the divine nature. Now the old is gone. All things are made radically, totally new. The fullness of God was in Jesus. The fullness of Jesus is inside of you. That means the fullness of the deity is waiting to express himself and come out of you. And now you start seeing why we start this whole uh, life with framework with the issue, with the topic of identity. Notice, notice this graphic. You've seen this several times throughout the lesson so far, uh, where we've talked about Jesus being the mirror image and showing us what the Father looks like, and, and then Jesus showing us what you look like. Notice this. Here's what the scripture teaches us. We have an image of the Father, and the fullness of God is in Jesus, but notice up here on the top, the fullness of Jesus is in you, and that right there is the basis of lesson number four, that you and I don't just live a pre-cross life. We're not just denying ourselves, taking up the cross and marching to death. We live in the line of the resurrection. At this point, all things, all things have been made new.